Good morning. Over a couple of announcements. Uh, most of you know the, the first three or four that we have. It's kind of a steadfast thing. Number five, we're starting a new series today called A Living Faith. And it's it sounds like it could be very appropriate for our day and age. Uh, we're planning on evening services tonight. Is that still still on okay evening services for tonight 6 p.m. Uh, drinks and a dish to pass as normal and I see we have some visitors today and as always we encourage you to uh, welcome them aboard and engage with them in uh, conversation uh, number seven a new TV has been installed in the foyer it looks it, it's a nice looking TV and it's designed for for those who are a little bit under the weather and maybe some crabby children, me notwithstanding. Uh, March special occasions, thats a, I think that's a typing error. I don't think there is any special occasions in March, so just pass that by. And do we have any prayer requests for today? Anybody? Uh, Sheila? How long has he? How long has he had it for? Uh, this will be sec about the second week or more. Maybe it's been about the third week of starting, I guess, that he's uh, been S suffering with it. See me after uh, service. I might have some something that might help him. Okay. Pray for Della. Della as well. Uh, Ken mentioned to me this morning that they've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow to evaluate the vest that she's been wearing. I guess it's. It's horrifically uncomfortable, and I can only imagine wearing that to bed. So, 
see if they can get rid of it and uh, perhaps look at something else. So keep, keep that all in mind. Has anybody heard from Tom Roth yet? We need to, we need to encourage him to come. I know he's, he's hunkered down, but uh, maybe if we can give him a call, uh, several of us from the church, and encourage him, it might, might persuade him to, uh, to come back and attend. Okay, let's, let's keep that in prayer and in, in our minds. Anything else uh, that we have? Okay, that being said, scripture for meditation this morning is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 13 through 40, and that'll be page 1875 in your pew Bible.
Would you stand with us as we begin our service and prayer? Brendan, may I prevail upon you to lead us? Amen. Andrea's not here today. Neither is Joe. So you're stuck with me leading singing. What is the rule? Sing loud because? Because? Come on, Terry, you know what the rule is. Sing loud because? There you have it. Okay. Okay. Uh, 399 in the hymnal. Thank you. 
congressional hymn for today. Do we have any any picks? Any any suggestions? Dale, you had one. Okay. And why is it you want to sing this today? Taken from the book of Matthew this morning, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, and that'll be page 1541 in your pew Bible, and when you come to it, please stand with us. Verse 14. 
Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. The one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one, one talent. And each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gathered five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been <coughs> faithful with a few things. I will put you in, <coughs> in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then, <coughs> then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. <coughs> His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. But the talent from, no, I started out wrong. Verse 28, it says, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ask that the Lord would bless his the reading of his word. you turn with me in the hymnal, page 389.
fans on, just tell me. Huh? If you need the fans on. Is it warm in here, guys? No? Okay. We're good. Our scripture text this morning is Matthew 25, verses 14 and following. Today we begin a new series entitled, A Living Faith. A Living Faith. And in this series, which launches today... From the parable in Matthew 25, we will examine what it means to live by faith in God. By faith in God. So as we come to our study, let us ask for the Lord's enablement. Our Lord, we thank you and praise you for the word of God that we, that we have. That you have not left us to our own devices or our, or our own inventions of what is the truth and what is not. Scripture speaks of you that you are the God who cannot lie. It is an impossibility for you to lie. So what we have before us is a testimony of the God who cannot lie. And that's wonderful for us because in our day and age, we can't always trust what people say to us. But from the scriptures, we can understand what God is saying to us. Though we do require and ask and pray and plead for the power of your Holy Spirit to do the reading but also the understanding of your truth. The spiritual meaning is up to the Spirit of God and we're asking for that enablement. Bless us who know you but also those who may not know you. May the Spirit of God do his work today whatever our need may be. And for those that couldn't be here today or who are suffering from ill health, we ask for a special grace for them. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we call ourselves believers. Uh, but what does that mean? Are we believers because we have a certain cerebral understanding of the faith. Are we believers because we say, I believe in God? James tells us that the demons have that kind of faith. Did you know that? Let me read for you. James is, this is the half-brother of our Lord who wrote James. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Well, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. James 2, verse 18 and 19. 
So a faith in one God is not anything extra that even the most wicked of beings can perform. The demons believe there's one God. John words it a little differently, but the concept is the same. John writes, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. That's in 1 John 4 and verse 20. So to say that you love God, but then to have no evidence of a life of love for others, especially the brethren, whom Christ commands us to love, makes you a liar and very self-deceived. James and John, two disciples of Christ, are on the same page. They are both advocating that a belief in God or a love for God can only be proven true when there are deeds of fidelity to back up the words. So we could take as our sub-theme for our study this morning and encapsulate it in the Confession of Paul. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2, verse 20. What does it mean to live one's life by faith in the Son of God. What does that mean? Are we talking about the faith? That is, faith as a noun? Faith as a body of doctrinal truth? Uh, don't be too quick to answer no. The faith is something that is objectively true. And we learn of the faith in the teachings of the Bible. And without such learnings, the faith becomes a free-for-all to promote one's own views. And that is why there are so many religions in the world. Man has made up his own faith. With everything from atheism to Darwinism to the Structured religions of the world, Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Catholicism and Protestantism and any other ism you can come up with. Sadly, even the name Christianity has been so stripped of biblical doctrine that what they call Christian you and I would not want any part of because the Christ of the Bible is absent. 
Now, Jesus predicted these outcomes. At the consummation of the age, many will come in the name of God, claiming to be the Christ. So to give credence to their claims, what do you suppose they use? Matthew 24, verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Okay, but if they turn away from the faith, what do they turn to? That is, what do they substitute in its place? Next verse, verse 11. Many false prophets, verse 24 adds, false Christs will appear and deceive many people. Well, how would a false prophet deceive people? Well, through his brand of teaching. His doctrine that is opposite of the faith, of which Jude says, Dear friends, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Now, here's what he says. The faith that was once for all entrusted to you as saints. Hmm. That's Jude, the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 3. And Paul adds the thought, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. So you get the concept here. It's one, 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 one. There's a singularity to what we call the faith or the truth of the scriptures. Deception comes by teachers of religion who do not know the faith nor the God of the faith. If you've ever listened to let's say, the History Channel or the Discovery Channel. When they do a piece on the Bible, the people they interview and tap for understanding are not evangelical Christians. No. Instead, they interview professors from Harvard Princeton, Oxford, and so on, all schools founded upon true-born true Christians, but which have long since abandoned the faith once delivered to the saints. In other words, they have become bankrupt in their theology, in their stewardship, by hiring and promoting an alternative gospel or faith instead. And people who do not believe the Bible 
as the depository of the one faith have no living faith in the God of whom they are trying to teach. But they gain credibility because of their human credentials. I mean, they have doctorates at prestigious institutions of so-called higher learning. Now, this is not to knock higher learning or education and study, but it is to say with Paul, since the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness, as assessed by the world, that is, through the foolishness of what was preached, what was preached, Christ crucified. It was God's purpose, and he was pleased to save those who believe through the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. Those who believe. Well, that's a reference to a second usage of the word faith. And that's faith is being used as a verb now, not as a noun. Faith in the sense of trust, which surfaces in actions. It's linked to faith as a noun, the teaching of the gospel, but it is the response to such teaching. And in that sense, a living faith for the believing heart. That is what this new series is going to be about. Again, in Paul's affirmation, he says, The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Galatians 2, verse 20. The present ongoing reality of believing God's instruction as he has spoken it in the word of God. Now, how does this occur? Well, God has made a deposit of the truth in the word of God. In Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus says, Like a man going on a journey, called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Oh, okay. So this is a stewardship of faith. The man going on a journey in this parable is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke's account of this same story, Luke 19, he's called a king who is describing the time lapse between his ascension and his return. And as in many of the other parables, the point seems to be that while the going away can be calculated, the return cannot. So there is the need to be watchful, yeah, ready, diligent, prosperous on his behalf. He doesn't tell you everything because he wants you to have a readiness of faith. 
You need to be looking. You need to be trusting. You need to be anticipating. So we have biblical accounts of Christ and his ascension into glory. And we can pinpoint that after his resurrection and so forth. But we are also told by Christ concerning his return, no one knows the day or the hour. So we know when he left, we don't know when he's coming back. And that keeps us hopeful, keeps us trusting, keeps us looking up. All those requirements of faith. Now what does a wealthy man do with his holdings while he's gone? Verse 14 says, He called his servants and entrusted his property to them. That's interesting. It's his property, but he gives it to his servants to manage. We could say it this way. The wealth is his. The management of the wealth is theirs. This is nothing less than a stewardship, a trustee. Paul says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. That's our one responsibility with regard to trust. Be faithful. If you consider the word faithful in its base meaning, which is full of faith, that's what faithful means, you will readily see that what the master expects from his servants is the exercise of their stewardship is faith in him as they manage his goods. Paul says the servant who is a trustee of another person of his possessions must prove faithful. There's the one qualification. I got this trust. I'm a trustee. I'm to be faithful. It's not mine, but in my management, my job is to be faithful. Which means we have to have a demonstrable faith. You cannot just say, oh, I believe, I believe. No, you cannot just do that. You must believe. Your actions must show that you believe. Okay, how does this go about? What, what is it that must be believed? And how do we have an act of faith? Well, number one, you must believe that your master is worthy of your loyalty. Jesus put it this way. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6 verse 24. 
in days gone by, this was a given in all employer-employee relationships. If you hired on at a company, that company expected you to be loyal to them. It was a given. And they, in turn, pledge loyalty to you. If they built GM cars, they did not expect you to come to work driving a Ford. Many years ago, I read in the paper of some vandalism that was occurring at the GM parking lot at the Flint plant, allegedly by disgruntled workers who didn't like the idea that their fellow employees were driving to work with other brands of cars. In hard economic times, they expected GM employees to buy GM vehicles. Every sale counted. Every sale. Even the dealers would give brand loyalty discounts. Do you remember those? Today, loyalty is a thing of the past. No one gives an employer a two-week notice of relocating. And time and time again, employees have walked into work on a Friday only to find a pink slip in their mailbox telling them that they need not come to work on Monday. This has contributed greatly to the hostility we see in our economy. Employees do not trust, that is, they do not have faith in their companies, and the companies have no faith in their employees. Everyone is out for themselves with seemingly no understanding that loyalty breeds security. It breeds grace and stability for all concerned. The master can sleep at night knowing his estate is being well cared for and the servant sleeps equally well at night knowing he has stable employment and a good income. Each trusts the other and a bond is secured. So loyalty is the first quality that's involved. Secondly, you must believe that the master's interests supersede your own. Oh boy, now we're in trouble. That is what this whole business of the talents is about. A talent, as we said the other week, is a sum of money. And while it is true that we manage the master's estate, the money is his which means that what we do with our stewardship, we do with the goal of enhancing and benefiting the interests of the master. We don't steal from him. We don't clock in and then go into some corner and take a nap. We don't abdicate our management to others who are 
already busy managing their own? We don't obey only if we feel like it. Feelings are fickle, and they do not dictate obedience. We don't become lazy or slipshod in our work. We don't compare ourselves with others who are managing more than we. We just dedicate ourselves to the honor and glory of the one we serve because our faith is in him and we exist because of him. Two of the servants in this story exhibited this faith. The third one did not. Verse 18. The man who had received one talent went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. No faith here. Just the despising of his, oh, I only have this one talent. What am I going to do with that? Buried it in the ground. Thirdly, if you truly believe in Christ... You will live in such a way that believes he will return and longs for his favorable review. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that in the day of judgment. And a delay in his return does not make us indifferent nor apathetic to our duties and responsibilities. No, We know that even if it is midnight hour, verse 6 of the Count of the Virgins, you're ready. Delay is not seen as a time to live it up for yourself. Pander to your own comfort zone. Verse 18 says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Faith in Christ does not mean that you see yourself as privileged above others, that you can ignore your duty while others are working hard, and then expect Jesus, because of grace, to overlook your indolence. No, there is a settlement of accounts coming. God expects us to profit from the talents that he gives us for his glory. Interestingly, everyone anticipates that he or she will hear the accolade, verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. We all think we're going to hear that. But what if you've not been faithful? What if you have made excuse after excuse for your lack of involvement in putting your talent, your master's interests, to work for him? Being part of the body of Christ, being a member of His estate, his church, is serious business because there is a day of accounting coming. 
And anyone who says they believe in God had better have deeds of faith to back it up. Do you know James wrote a whole book in the Bible about that? James, half-brother of our Lord, wrote a whole book about what is true faith and the fact that you can't just say things like, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. There has to be deeds that support that you believe. Hebrews 11, verse 6, puts it this way, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And that's a faith in action again. So, are you in earnest about your stewardship? Will your so-called Christian life please God? Faith pleases Him. Living your life by your own wits does not please Him. These are sobering truths that we don't often think about but we're going to think about them in this series on living faith. Fourthly, true faith in Christ will have something to show him in the day of accounting that proves you have been a contributing member to his kingdom. As Jesus reiterated in this account, two of the servants did receive the praise of God, well done, good and faithful servant, because it was evident that they took seriously the stewardship, entrusted to them. They didn't seem to be any jealousy by the man with $2,000 towards the man who had five, the talents. No, each did what they could with what they had, and in the end, they gained more than they had been given. This is always the way it is, brethren. When we are faithful with what God gives us, we end up gaining in the end. God is glorified by our fidelity to him, and we are enriched for having been faithful. And I don't think the point of the parable is that they had doubled the master's holdings, but simply that they had put his gifts, his property, to work for him, and it had paid off. They were rewarded with more, and the master invited them to share in his happiness. Verse 23. So it was win, win. Everyone rejoicing. You've been a good servant, and the master has been satisfied. Yet, <laughs> how different is the outcome of the person who has the name of servant and is lodged on the master's estate, who is fed by the master, clothed by him, and is even blessed with the master's money, yet he does nothing but bury the talent in the ground, where it does the master no good, and serves as an indictment of a wicked unbelief and laziness from this servant. Notice that this servant viewed his master who, by the way, is God. He viewed him as 
a hard person, verse 24, self-centered and greedy, harvesting where he had no, not sown any seed. Wow. Kind of like the Egyptian taskmasters who compelled the Israelites to make bricks without providing them with the straw. And yet they didn't reduce the tally of the bricks. You got to come up with the same amount of bricks at the end of the day, and we're not giving you any straw to help you make the bricks, which means you're going to have to go out and get the straw, make the bricks, and still come up with the same number. That was this servant's view of Christ while eating at his table, feasting on his goodness. It was Judas all over again. And it is the many subsequent Judas types who call Jesus Lord, Lord, but do not do what he says. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. So that makes me ask the question, what is the real problem of the wayward servant? What is his problem? Why was this servant with one talent, so remiss in his duties. Well, he tells us, verse 25. He says, I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. He was afraid. There is a holy fear of God, which is not only beneficial, but commended by God. Psalm 34, verse 9, for example. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. We're to actually told to fear the Lord. Or again. He put a new song in my mouth says Paul, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Psalm 40, verse 3 and 4. David. Notice that this is a fear that trusts in the Lord. It's the fear of faith. It's not slavish fear. It's not running away from the Lord. Oh, I'm scared of him. It's a fear that runs to him in trust. Again, the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him who belongs, to him belongs eternal praise. That's Psalm 111, verse 10. And you should observe here that fearing the Lord in the sense of a holy fear evidence itself by following his precepts. If I fear the Lord, I obey the Lord. Ah. But there is another kind of fear which is sinful 